we've been thinking about the uncontrollable sin, coveting. And um, by way of reminder, just a couple of things. When we think about coveting and looking at it from a biblical perspective, a couple of thoughts. Um, number one, uh, coveting counts. And when we think of the Ten Commandments, we think of behaviors, adultery and murder, bearing fault witness. But the Tenth Commandment stretches that so it we are to commanded not just to control what we do, but what we think. Jesus is the one that caused coveting to count. He had a couple things to say. He says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. I think we can all get our arms around the fact that that is raising the bar. It's one thing to control not murdering somebody. It's another thing to control anger. It's a whole different kind of thing. Jesus, when he was here, the bar was set at a, at a height where people kind of felt that they were clearing it. But when he was finished, the bar was set at such a height that I mean, it's really more difficult to control your your beliefs than your behaviors. He didn't just apply it to murder, though. He went on to say, you've heard that it was said long ago, um, you've heard that it was said, Don't, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If we control our behavior, but not our thoughts, if we control our behavior, but not our thoughts, we are put in the same line as the person who was unable to control their behavior, a person who committed adultery and murder. Coveting counts, not only that, but coveting is uncontrollable. Um, Paul's the one that said, I would not have known what sin was except through the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire, for apart from law, sin is dead. Requires that we deal with our desires, not just our actions. Um, so how do we control the sin that's uncontrollable? We've looked at doing five things. And what we, uh, to be real, be still, speak freely, wait perseveringly, and respond gently. It begins by being real, by being honest about what we think and feel. That's number one. Be real. Then be still. God says, with respect to being in places where we think things we don't want to think and do things we don't want to do, God says, first and foremost, be still. Be still. Stop. Before you fix anything, before you do anything, be still and know that I am God. I'm going to be exalted in the nations and on earth. And what he promises us, I'll never leave you and never forsake you. Be real, be still. He doesn't want us just to stop at that. He doesn't want us just to stop at the place where we acknowledge our thoughts and feelings, that we be still with them. Then what he says, speak freely. And he wants us to approach the throne of grace and speak freely with him about what we want. And then doing the first three things, be real, be still, speak freely, enables us to wait perseveringly and respond gently. Um, the maturity that allows us to be real, to be still and speak freely, takes time to develop. Or, as we're looking over this last couple of weeks, practice makes perfect. It was James who ends up saying, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, 
Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When it talks about being mature and complete, not lacking anything, it's not talking about being morally perfect. It's talking about being perfect with respect to being usable by God. So somebody to and through whom God can extend mercy and grace, that person, that's what it's described as a person who is perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's a person who can channel to others what God would have them channel. And what it's saying then is in order for this type of usefulness, for us to be useful, it's going to require that we are where we encounter things that we have to endure. How does God develop usefulness? It says perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And what it suggests then is that if we are going to be in a place where we're useful to God, it's going to mean that we are going to have to endure seasons and time, really, that we will not have what we want to have. We won't do what we want to do. We won't feel what we want to feel, and we won't think what we want to think. Everything within us, within us will want to be somewhere else, do somewhere else. But what God says that that learning perseverance allows us to be more mature and complete. So here's the question then. That's easier said than done. What do we need to do to persevere? We're going to see three things today, and we're going to focus on the third, two by way of review. Um, we need wisdom. It um, says, consider it pure joy when you encounter, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, lest perseverance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given him. When we're in a situation where we are struggling with having to deal with things we don't want to deal with, what God encourages us to ask him for, be real, be still, speak freely when you come into God, a good thing to ask God is wisdom. Wisdom is what allows us to understand that the path we're on is going to lead to a good place, even though it's going through a difficult stretch. The path that God leads us on involves endurance, but gets us to a place where we experience usefulness. And in light of that, that's why God considered all joy. And if you're in a place where you're saying, I don't know how I'm going to handle it. I have to do this. I am thinking this. I'm struggling with that. And what God says, okay, if you're in a place, you don't know how you're going to be able to keep putting one foot in front of another. God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask me for wisdom. Wisdom is what allows us to continue to move forward on a road that is difficult in many respects. Uh, the path will lead through difficulty to usefulness. This is where Paul experienced. He said, but he said to me, Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. for My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For this sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, 
persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What Paul experienced is that the very things that he wanted ushered out of his life were the things that allowed him to be spiritually strong and useful. Insults, persecutions, hardships. Um, so what do we need to persevere? We need wisdom. The wisdom that will allow us to keep putting one foot in front of another. What else do we need? We need peace. We looked at this last week. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace is not a feeling here. It's not a feeling of peace. God's peace is something that protects our hearts and minds. It's like a per protective perimeter that, that insulates us and protects us, our minds, from being overrun by anxious thoughts. Without this protective perimeter, our, our minds are flooded with what if, oh no, what if, oh no, what if, oh no, and then one kind of an ongoing imagining about what life will be like. And what God says that um, his peace is something that allows us to have enough space to think about what he would have us to think about. Not only the things that are challenging, but the things that will allow us, if we focus on them, to keep putting one foot in front of another. Present our requests is what God wants us to do. So with respect to the things that we struggle with, what God says is be real. Admit the things you think and feel. Be still. Think about what God says to you. I am God. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Now, the reason why God says that is because he invites us and encourages, really commands us to come to him and tell him what it is we want on a day-by-day -day basis. And what he says, when we develop the capacity to move towards him and tell him what we want, he doesn't promise us that he'll give us what we want. What he does promise is that he will give us his peace, and his peace will gradually, we will learn to experience this peace as a protective a kind of primitive that will allow us not to get rid of our anxiety, but just to turn down the volume. Little by little by little as time goes on. This is not something that that we experience just if we try it once. It's It's... The ability to believe these things is like a muscle that grows with exercise. And so my encouragement, and we'll say this at the end, this is not something, this is not a magic formula. It's something to practice. Be real. Be still. Speak freely. And what you'll find, little by little, it will allow you to wait perseveringly and respond gently. If you would like to wait perseveringly and respond gently, and I'd encourage practicing the first three steps. Be real. Be aware of what it is you think and feel. Don't try to push it away. Be still. Before you tell, before you do something about it, think about what God says to you. Be still. Cease striving. Literally what it means, let your arms hang limp at your side. 
don't do anything just now. We've heard it said, usually we think, don't just do, don't just stand there, do something. What God says, don't just do something, sit there. Um, be real, be still, then speak freely. What do you ask him for? Wisdom. Wisdom's a good thing to ask for. I bet you're in places, all of us find ourselves in places where we struggle with having things we don't want to have and doing things we don't want to do. Feeling things we don't want to feel. Thinking things we don't want to think. What do you do with that? Well, God says, admit it first. Secondly, listen to what he says. He's with us. He'll never leave or forsake you. The third thing God says, talk to me. Speak to him about the things that you need. What he promises is peace will guard your heart and mind. Um, what do we need to persevere? Wisdom, peace, and then today, strength. Um, here's what Paul says. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I have learned the secret of being content. Tell you what, if we could market that, we could put that into a product and market that would make a zillion dollars. You know why? Everybody's looking for contentment. Everyone is. In fact, it is the thing that unites us all. Now, we might look in different places. All of us are looking for contentment. What the word contentment means, literally, it comes from the word enough. I have enough. I have enough this. I have enough that so that I am comfortable with what I have. I am not anxious. I am not worried. Why? Because I have enough. I'm content. Um, Everybody is looking for contentment. We're all looking for satisfaction that comes from having enough time, enough money. But contentment is elusive in the Bible. It's, contentment is something that, well, here's what it says. Um, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, the battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet. Look what it says, this verse. You cannot have what you want. I want you to think about that. It says, our desires war within us. Because our desires war within us, we can't have what we want. I want you to consider what that's saying. The problem is not that we never get what we want. The problem is that whatever we get, Part of us wants it, and part of us doesn't. We, our desires battle within us. We don't just want one thing. We have desires that point in two different directions. And when this desire is fulfilled, this desire doesn't like it. When this desire is fulfilled, this desire doesn't like it. And that's the problem. Somebody said, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they talked about loving themselves. You know the problem with loving ourselves? that ourselves don't love one another. You know, we have selves inside that, and the selves that inhabit us are, they want different things. So how can I love myself when my selves don't like one another? I think that's um, true. And you know what that, what ends up happening, what James talks about, that leads to coveting. When we don't have what we want to have, we grasp. We covet, we want something, we crave it, and it's a passion, it's a longing. And when that passion is not fulfilled, 
This verse indicates that it leads to contempt. You think scripture says without reason, the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely. When we don't get what we want, we blame somebody. It's just what we do. We, we will track uh, being having a frustrated desire and we will go in one of two directions. Some of us blame ourselves. Some of us blame others. I told you before this. If, if I was to come to you and say, we've got a problem, before even listening to what the problem was, some of us would naturally say, what did I do? You know, if there's a problem, we imagine that we are the problem, and that's what some of us do. We blame ourselves. Others, I say, we have a problem. Some others of us would say, okay, what did you do? Because we don't, we don't blame ourselves, we blame others. What this text indicates, though, is that when we have frustrated desires, it is natural to blame. Natural. You don't have to learn to blame comes naturally. The spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, and we'll find ourselves being caught up in contempt. Coveting leads to contempt. How do we break free of that? Um, Paul talks about the source of contentment. What he says, one, contentment doesn't come from removed need. Here's what he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Paul had needs. He had what he didn't want, and he wanted what he didn't have, and he learned to be content. How did Paul learn to be content? By being in situations where he didn't have what he wanted to have. He had what he didn't want to have, and he had to learn in being within those situations. He learned to depend on God, and he experienced that God gave him something that allowed him to be content. What was that? Contentment comes not from removed need, but from experienced, received strength. So he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That's used oftentimes as a nothing is impossible, go for it message. But it's not saying that God gives me the strength to get what I want. What this verse is saying, God gives me the strength to not get what I want. Would you agree with me? A contentment that comes from having what we want? Imagine that. A contentment that you were perfectly content with what you had, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. None of us are there. Imagine being in that place. That would be a very valuable contentment, wouldn't it? How about this? How about a contentment that was there when you didn't have what you wanted? What about that kind of contentment? A contentment that could exist when you had what you wanted and when you didn't. 
That's the contentment that Paul found. And what he found, I can do all things, not through him who gives me stuff. It's nice to have stuff, whatever the stuff is, relational stuff or physical stuff or spiritual stuff. Having stuff is a nice thing. You know, whatever the stuff is, a new this, a new that, a new outlook, a new couch, a new car, a new friendship. All these things, these things are stuff, and they're, they are pleasing and they are pleasant. What Paul experienced, there is a contentment that is not rooted in stuff. It's rooted in strength. He can say, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. What Paul experienced is that there were places in his life where he was struggling different times. There was a time that he was, he had explained at the end of his life that about what happened on the road to Damascus and about how God told him to go to uh, the Gentiles and then the people that were there who were in Jerusalem at the time, they were outraged. And in fact, Roman soldiers had to bring Paul into a fortress to protect him from the people, because they were they were about to tear him limb from God. And that night, he had a visitor. And we, we don't have a lot of details. Jesus showed up and apparently had a discussion with Paul about, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to go to Rome, and a lot of things are going to happen to you, but I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to speak things through you. And you know what Paul received? He didn't get anything from Jesus, but he did get something from Jesus. You know what he got from him? Strength. The same thing that Jesus did. Remember Jesus on the night before he was betrayed, the night before he went back? And remember the conversation with the Father? He said a couple of things. He said, let this cup pass from me. He was aware that he didn't want to die. And Jesus didn't try to stuff that under the water. He touched it. And you know what he did? He expressed it to God. He spoke freely. He told God what it is that he was feeling. He, he not only said that, but he said, your will be done. And that's what Jesus learned to do, to be in touch with, well, you know what he learned? He learned to be real. And he learned to be still. And he learned to speak freely. And you know what that allowed? To wait perseveringly, to respond gently. On the road, on the cross. Strength. God, strength enables me to live with unmet needs and unfulfilled desires. In order to be content, we need to learn to live with the, con the tension created by having things we don't want. Um, if you have, think about things in your life, you're not where you want to be. You're not where you wanted to be at this stage in your life, in this season of your life. You have things you don't want to have. You don't have things you do want to have. You feel what you don't want to feel. You don't feel what you do want to feel. You think what you don't want to think, and you don't think what you do want to think. You do what you don't want to do, and you don't do what you do want to do. All of us have experiences of frustration. What, what I think he wants us to do with them, number one, be real. 
Admit them to him or to somebody who's not going to judge you for it. Be real, be still. God says stop. Before you fix anything, before you try to change your circumstances or change your mind, stop. What he tell you? He's God. He's going to win in the end. And he's never going to cast you adrift. And he's never going to leave you behind, ever. You know what he wants you to do? Come to the throne of grace and speak freely. A couple things you might ask him. God, give me wisdom. I do want to be useful. Help me to stay on the road that leads to being useful. God, I need peace. My mind is so overrun by thoughts. And I pray that you'd help me learn to experience your peace in order that I might have some protection from the thoughts that are always crashing into my brain. Give me wisdom. Give me peace. Give me strength. God, I want to experience a level of contentment, but a contentment that is there whether I have everything I want or not. A couple of practical things in closing. Um, number one, practice in non-crisis times. Whenever you're doing something that's going to have long-term benefit, there's a discipline that comes from it. So what I'm saying is don't wait for a crisis to practice, be real, be still, and speak freely. Do it in non-crisis times. Make it a part either, if you can, maybe early in the morning or late at night. I don't know whenever you talk with God. It doesn't have to be an hour. and really just can be a pretty short amount of time. And do this. Do what? You know by now. Practice being real. You know, if you get up in the morning and you're not looking forward to the day, God, you know what? I have things today that I don't really want to go through. Be real. And then be still. Listen, think about what he says to you. And again, I'm just giving you a couple of things, but these are the things I think. I think about him saying to me, be still. I am God. Psalm 46.10. I will be exalted in the nations and on earth. I think he'd say that to us. And he would say, I will never leave you and forsake you. God's sympathy and sovereignty are very great. And then he says, speak freely. And it's something that some of us, we, we're not used to asking for what we want. Some of us demand what we want. Others of us don't tell anybody what we want. What God wants us to do is learn to do that. And it takes time. Practice it. Little by little in the morning. Just go through that. Practice in non-crisis times. Because if you try to wait for a crisis time, Coveting and contempt will drag you downstream. That's the way it works. Little by little, we develop the capacity to do this. Secondly, and finally, learn to approach God in order to endure tension, not in order to eliminate it. Whatever God gives us in terms of spiritual capacities, I'm sorry to say it, but we are spiritual beings in mortal bodies, and those selves don't get along very well. You know what this means? That we're going to experience tension. If we're in the Garden of Eden, we're going to experience tension. We will not experience tension at the time when this spirit is put into an immortal body. That's on when Jesus comes another time. So learn to approach God in order to endure tension, not eliminate it. If you talk to God and you still find you're a little bit agitated, there's nothing wrong with you. Nothing wrong. He doesn't 
promise to make it go away. He says, little by little, you receive the wisdom, the peace, and the strength to keep walking down the road that will lead you to greater usefulness, like Paul. We're not going to be like Paul, but like Paul, like Jesus. Let's stand for closing prayer. Now, when we think about an uncontrollable sin like coveting, we can't control our thoughts. What you tell us to do is to be real, but not to try to control them, to be still, to listen to what you say to us, and then to speak freely to you. And little by little, develop over the years the capacity to breathe and to be able to wait perseveringly and to respond gently. Um, thank you for places in the Bible that are real, that help us to understand tensions non-negotiable, and if we learn to receive wisdom, peace, and strength, we'll find ourselves in a place where we will be greater, greater usefulness to you and gentler with ourselves and others. Thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen.